Does that mean I get to pick the songs? Just kidding. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, these are words that have been passed through the generations to our ears today. So as we listen to them, let us hear them afresh. Let us hear them anew. Let us hear them so that they speak to us here in these seats in this worship today. Amen. So today we're reading from a scripture passage that is one of my favorites. So I'm glad that you all get to read along with me. And read along will you because it's a little bit of a doozy. We're opening up to Luke chapter 15. And though it says verse 1 through 3, then we're skipping ahead because there's a lot of good stuff in the middle, but we just can't read it all. We don't have time to read the whole Bible right now. So I'll leave that for you guys at home. No, seriously, read the Bible at home. But uh, we've got this really great stuff going on. So this is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip ahead and get to 11, and it's great. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him. The Pharisees and the scribes, that's important. Remember that for later. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable. This is Jesus talking. Jesus speaks in parables. Jesus said, There was a man. He had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of all of my property that will belong to me. So the father divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, packed it all in his backpack, traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property throughout the country. He lived in dissolute living. And but when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place in the country. And then, all of a sudden, he began to be in need. So he went out for himself to the citizens of that country, and he went to the fields, and he went to the pig feeding troughs. And they gave him something to eat. And at some point, he just reached a point of saying, this is what my life has come to. That's not in the Bible. I made that up. But that's what he's thinking. I know it. That's what he says to himself. My father, back at home, remember all that money that I had? His hired hands even have things to eat. I have sinned. I have sinned against my Father and against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called a son. So he set off and went to his father. And when his father was still a ways off, I'm assuming a mile, because you can usually see a mile down a long road, the father saw him. He was filled with compassion. And he ran. And he put his arms around him. And he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you. He said his whole speech that he's been anxiously wanting to tell his father this whole time as he's traveled back to him. I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. I was lost and now I'm found. And the father said, quick, bring out a robe. Put on a ring. Kill the fatted calf. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was no longer lost, but now he's been found. And so everyone, the entire village, began to celebrate. Now we switch gears. The older son. The elder son, he was in the fields. 
He wasn't even there to see any of this. He was in the fields, and when he came upon this party, he approached the house. He heard music. He heard dancing. No one invited him. He didn't get the Evite, no text message. And he heard the news, your brother has come. Your father killed a fatted calf. He put that ring on his finger. He got the robe. He got the whole bit. Your your brother is safe and sound. But he couldn't hear it. He became angry. He became refusing of any invitation. His father had to go out of the party and began to plead with him and said, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed a single commandment of yours, Father. Yet you have given me even a young goat so I might celebrate with my own friends. But this son of yours, he came back. He devoured all of your property with prostitutes, killed a fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, older son, you've been with me. All I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice because this other brother of yours was dead and he came back to life. He's been lost and now he's been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's not fair. I can tell you what exactly is not fair. The rule in my house growing up was that we had a strict curfew. 11 p.m. when we were in high school, we had to be home. And one night, my brother came home way past curfew. And my dad was waiting up watching TV. And it was later and later and later. And finally, my brother came home. And suddenly, the whole house was awake. I was hanging out at the top of the stairs just within earshot. I thought, this is going to be good. I thought, my dad's going to lay down the law. He's going to rip my brother a new one. And for the entire next month, my stinky brother is going to be grounded and I'm going to be able to get away with whatever I want because whatever I do can pale in comparison to what he's just done. Coming home late after curfew, oh my goodness. Oh boy, is he going to get it. My brother came in the door. He looked at my dad. My dad looked at him. My brother opened his mouth to speak and simply said he was sorry for being late, understood that my parents would be worried. Now, this is before cell phones, so there was no preemptive sorry. But he understood. He was late. He apologized. And then my dad simply said, son. Well, he said Charles, but, you know, son. I'm glad you're home. He hugged him, and he said, you're home now, and that's what matters. Next time will be different in a very stern voice. And then they both went to bed. What? That's it? Me with an earshot, thinking I have been this wonderful child this whole time. That's all my brother gets? A stern next time will be different? How dare my dad? How dare he be so, so, so fair to my older brother? Where's the judgment? How is that fair? That's not equality. I want something that works here. How dare he? And I know you all have found yourselves in a similar situation with a sibling, a cousin, a spouse, co-worker. I know you have found yourself in a similar situation. 
And Jesus used everyday examples because he knew that they would hit home with us. And so he speaks about this parable with two sons. It's not the first time in the Bible that we have two sons wrestling with one another. Sibling rivalry, right? That's good stuff. How many of you have siblings? I just want, kind of want to know so I can keep on going with that. A lot of people have siblings. Or if you don't have a sibling, there's definitely somebody who you have a rivalry with. Remember Cain and Abel in Genesis? Somebody got killed. Whoops. Isaac and Ishmael? Oh, man. The son born out of wedlock versus the real son. There's lots of family drama there. And hey, we have two created religions out of it, Muslims and Christians. There's no tension, right? No tension. Then we have Jacob and Esau, a little less known in the Bible, but Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Brotherly love, sibling rivalry. It's what makes a great parable, right? And so when Jesus is telling this parable, he knows that we're all going to find ourselves in the story. Because how can you not hear the story and not resonate with it? You want to find, who am I? And so you can imagine the people that were listening to Jesus were standing there. And who were they? Well, we read in verse 1, the Pharisees and the tax collectors. little character sketch real quick. The tax collectors were people who collected people's taxes. And as you probably can imagine, people who collect people's taxes are not exactly favorite now. They weren't favorite then, and they actually scraped a little bit extra off the top, and so they were actually stealing from people, so no one liked the tax collectors. They had some repenting. They were doing some sinning. And then we've got the Pharisees, who are all the high and mighty ones, wearing some clergy robes making all of the religious rules and expectations, always being at the temple praying. We hear about these two types of characters all along, and this is who Jesus is talking to. And if this is who Jesus is talking to, the parable is about them. And they are standing there listening. Who am I in this story? But even though you all sitting here are not tax collectors or Pharisees, you can still ask the question, who am I in this parable. Who is most like me? So we look at this, and there's actually three stories. Remember that big break that I didn't read? So I'll catch you up. There was a sheep who strayed away from the 99. Remember that story? He was lost and then found, and then they threw a party. And the second story that's also in that missing gap was there was 10 coins. One was lost, and then it was found, And then they threw a party. And then we bring ourselves to what we read today. The third story is about a man who had two sons. One son went away, was lost and found, and had a party. You all are tracking. I like this. Nice job. She's only had like two hours of sleep, and she's still tracking. The second son, the older son, did nothing wrong. He was outside the house, and he didn't have a party. Now, at this point, we have to think to ourselves, we need to put on our pharisaical lenses. The Pharisees had certain lenses that they could wear to think about how they fit into this story. The person in the story that is most like them is the elder son. The character that is most like them is the one who doesn't get a party. Can you imagine how pissed off they'd be at the end of this? Why don't we get party? They clearly didn't understand the parable yet. You see, 
it goes like this. Lost sheep, found sheep, get a party. Lost coin, found coin, get a party. Lost son, found son, get a party. Son, no party. So he tells this story. Standing outside of the party, of the celebration. Standing outside. Maybe Jesus was telling them two stories. As I dove deeper into this, I actually realized that these three stories, the sheep, the coin, and the sons, it's actually two stories. And the last story is told through the lens of the other two. The two help us understand the last story. This, is get, this was getting good. Okay, one sheep left the 99, stayed away, was found, came back, and had a party. We've established that. So if you think about that, that's just like the one son. The one son was lost, went away, was found, and came back and had a party. The younger son is like the sheep. The second story, ten coins, who knows where the coin was lost this whole time? In the house. The coin was lost in the house the whole time. 900 square feet lost in the house. The older son was lost in the house the whole time too. So we realize that this whole story was about not just one prodigal son, but two prodigal sons. They were both lost. They both wanted the same thing out of the father. They just wanted to get it in two different ways. Both wanted the father's hand but not the father's heart. One said, give me my money now. And the other said, I'm just going to wait for you to die and I'll just take it then. They both wanted the father's stuff, but not a relationship with the father. That's when the father says to the older son, like, do you understand these words? All these years I've been slaving for you, dad. Older son says, all these years I've been slaving for you, dad. And can you imagine that the father says, slaving? Is that how you felt, son? You haven't been here in the house with me because you love me? Not because we're family? You're just here because you feel like you're slaving away from me? You're just trying to get something out of the deal? Man, you're just as lost as your other brother. You want my stuff just like your other brother. And you didn't go about it the right way. At least he asked me for it upright, and I knew that he was lost and found. You coveted my stuff in silence. You can be in the house doing everything right, following the rules, and still be lost. You can be in the house going to church making a pattern of reading the Bible, going to Bible studies. And you can still be lost. You can still be lost. One of the most dangerous places to be in the world, and God knows this, is to be so close to God's heart, but not know God's heart. So how do we get to know God's heart more? How do we make that transition? I'll be honest with you, I went to church all my life. And I understood what it was like to sit in the pew just like you. 
to go to youth group, to go to Bible study, to talk to my friends, even bring them. As an adult, I know it's important to be here, to do all the right things. I've got a list of things that I feel like I should do. Don't say these things. Do say these things. Make sure you're nice to everyone, even the person that bugs you. We're just supposed to be like that, right? But where's the heart transformation? You see, God's been here this whole time, laying out all of our gifts and talents. And it's not like we even feel like we're drugged to church. It's just that we have to have a heart change. Are we lost while still going here, being here? Are we lost? Now, I can't answer that question for you. Only you can. But I do know that all of us have a moment right here and right now, no matter how lost we are, to have a life-transforming moment. To really understand that Jesus is a part of their life and that they can be transformed. They don't have to be lost. They can make changes right here. And I think it first starts with being nourished. And we have this table right here. These are the most precious gifts that God could have ever given us. Bread to remind us how much God loves us. Grape juice or wine to remind us how much God loves us. So we can go out into the world and not feel like we're lost, but always have a piece of Jesus, literally, physically, spiritually with us. So maybe you resonated with the younger brother and you're just coming back and this is the first time you're sitting in these seats. Maybe these seats are all too familiar with, for you. Maybe you've been lost this whole time. Maybe you want to change up your routine, and I encourage you to do that starting now. Change up your routine and not be lost anymore. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we know that you give us stories so that we can resonate with them. Thank you for making them so familiar. Thank you for making them so silly about brother and sisterly love. Thank you for making it so tactile. And God, as we feel convicted to change, to not be lost, no matter whether we resonate more with the younger son or the older son, let us always know that you are right there finding us. And that's the most important truth that we can ever think about. In your name we pray, amen.